Well, I want to say good morning to you, good morning to our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online, those who are watching by TV. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year, it's Thanksgiving week, and I would be remiss if I didn't begin by telling you, I am thankful for you. I am thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the privilege I get of pastoring such a sweet, wonderful people. I was thinking about that this morning, and I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you. You know, the moment comes at different times in different ways to different people. For me, it came on a December morning 20 years ago, about 3 o'clock, when my phone rang, and it was my brother, my oldest brother. And he spoke three words, Dad is gone. At that moment, I joined the ranks of those who have lost one of the two people that brought me into this world. And I don't mind telling you that when that realization hit me, there's another thought that washed over me just like ice water. I'll never forget it. It hit me just like this. The thought came, one day, I'll be gone too. One day, my three boys will get a call from somebody who knows and they'll say, hey, your dad is gone. And we all know that it comes, but there comes that moment as it did for me, and it'll come for you if it hasn't yet, it will, when it grabs you or, or rather you're grabbed by it. And then it's a thought that begins to stalk you sometimes at night, this idea that you begin to realize that I've got more days behind me than I do in front of me. And you realize that as you're going down the runway of life, the runway is running out of pavement. And you're going to lift off and you're going to leave this world. And as you think about that, there's a question that hits you right between the eyes. And if this that question has not hit you, get ready, it will. You'll never know when, where, or how, but it will hit you. It'll hit you like bricks. And the question is, what am I going to leave behind when I leave this world behind? What am I going to leave behind when I leave this world behind? One of my buddies that I mentored over here, Jeremy, he said, I showed him that question. He said, I'm going to leave Auburn enough money so they can buy a quarterback. I said, while you're at it, leave enough to buy a coach. But anyway, you know what was interesting about what he said? Because he, he illustrated my point. When, when I ask that question, your mind automatically goes to inheritance. You think, yeah, what stuff am I going to leave behind and how am I going to divide it up or how are they going to divide it up? And then maybe you think about not just inheritance, maybe you think about individuals. You, you think about the people you're going to leave behind, the people that you love, the people you knew, the people you worked with, the people you did business with. But there's something we don't think about too often, and if we do, it kind of lags behind everything else. And I think that ought to be the first thing we think about. And it's not inheritance. It's not individuals. We need to think about influence. Well, what kind of an influence am I going to leave behind? Let me tell you why. Listen to, listen to this. The influence you leave behind will far outlast the inheritance you leave behind. And the influence you leave behind will even far outlast the individuals that you leave behind. That's what we call your legacy. Your legacy will be determined by the, not, you know, by the people you leave, not the possessions. It'll be determined by the influence you leave, not the inheritance. Now, you may not be like a king that we've been talking about for the last couple of months whose name was David. 
Well, I'll tell you what you're gonna learn today. You can leave behind a legacy worthy of a king. We've devoted about nine weeks to the study of this king named David. There is good reason for that. There's more scripture devoted to David than anybody else in the Bible except for Jesus. David is the first person named in the New Testament after Jesus, and he's the last person named in the New Testament except for Jesus. He's the only person in the entire Bible that is called a man after God's own heart. And so today, as we close this series, we're coming to the end of David's life. And David does us a big favor. He has shown us how to live. Now he's going to show us not only how to die, but how to leave the kind of legacy we ought to leave when we die. So if you brought a copy of God's Word and you want to look on with me, I'm in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Not a hard book to find. If you just go to Genesis and turn right, go about eight or nine or ten books, you will read, come to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Now here's, I want to kind of set this up. What you're reading here is the end of David's life. You're going to read the last recorded words that he ever spoke on this earth. David has now spent 40 years of his life serving the nation that he loved with all of his heart, the nation of Israel. He's no longer that young shepherd that killed that big giant called Goliath. He's now an old man. And he's knows, he knows that he's drawing, about to draw his last breath. He knows he's coming to the end of his days. He knows he's preparing for his last journey, but he's done himself a favor. He is not waiting on chance. He's not waiting on luck. Not that there's anything like that, really. He's not waiting on anybody else to determine his legacy for him. He's already planned out the legacy that he wants to leave. Now, let me just tell you, it's not quite the legacy he hoped for. We're in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. King David rose to his feet. He's talking to all the nation. He said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. There was one legacy David wanted to leave. There was one dream that David wanted to fulfill. It was to build the temple of God. But one thing was true of David that's true of everybody that's listening to me right now and you just may as well wake up and realize the truth of it. The truth of the matter is none of us will see all of our dreams come true. None of us will see all of our mountains climbed. None of us will see all of our goals achieved. But we can leave a legacy on which others can fulfill their dreams and reach their goals. So what I wanna do today is just simply share with you Two lessons we're gonna learn from David today about how to live and leave a legacy that will outlast us and outlive us long after we are gone. Because let me just say this. You don't have a choice as to whether or not you're gonna leave a legacy. Everybody leaves a legacy. The question is, is it a good one or a bad one? The question is, is it a legacy that lasts maybe for a moment? Or is it a legacy that can last long after you've left this earth? So two lessons we're gonna to learn today. Number one, our legacy is determined by where we lead others. Our legacy is determined by where we lead others. Now, David's building the legacy he's living, leaving. And he begins with a building block that we all want to start with. He's starting with his own family. Solomon is going to be the next king. And David wants to make sure that Solomon is the best king he can be and the best leader that he can be. 
So what he's about to do and what he's about to say with his final words on, on, on planet earth, he's thoughtfully, carefully, and prayerfully prepared his advice. He knows exactly what he wants to say to Solomon. So he sits Solomon down, knowing he's gonna be the next king, knowing he's gonna be his successor, and I want you to listen to what he says. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that David is appealing to Solomon's heart because David was all about the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. And he wanted Solomon to understand that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Every problem we face on this planet ultimately comes back to a problem of the human heart. So his advice to Solomon is very simple. He says, Solomon, seek God and serve God with all your heart. If you'll just listen to one piece of advice, this is what I'd tell you. Don't worry about how much money you'll put in the stock market. Don't worry about your 401k. Don't worry about how much land you may buy. Don't worry about what house you'll leave behind. If you don't do anything else, Solomon, seek God and serve God with all your heart. Now, let me just stop and ask you a question. As a parent or as a boss or as a coach or as a teacher, or as a leader, if you could pull your children, your players, your employees, and your students aside, and you could give them just one piece of advice, and you know that they would take that advice regarding the life that they ought to live, can you think of any better advice you could give anybody than to seek God and to serve God with all their heart? Matter of fact, I wanna get a little bit nosy. If you're a parent or you're a grandparent, don't you think it's a good idea to be more concerned about the influence you have on your kids and grandkids than the inheritance that you leave on your kids and grandkids? See, too often we're more concerned about the latter than we are about the former. We're more concerned, I wanna make sure he gets this and she gets that and he gets this and she gets that. And we forget that's really not the most important thing. See, David had done everything he could to set Solomon up for success in every way. Think about what he's leaving Solomon. A nation that was unified under one flag. A capital city called Jerusalem that was the envy of the world a military force that was respected by all of their enemies. He had expanded the boundaries of Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. The economy was humming. Many of the songs that David had written of worship and praise were being sung by people all over the land. He was leaving behind a people that not only respected the king, but they loved and they revered and they worshiped God. But David knew it could all be lost. Matter of fact, it was. Because all of the things that we give, all the things of value that we give to people will not matter if we do not lead them to live the values that God wants all of us to have. We're a lot more concerned about leaving things of value than we are of leaving values. And David's primary concern was not to lead Solomon to be powerful. He said, son, I want you to be pure. 
I'm not concerned that you're great. I am concerned that you're godly. My desire for you is not to be rich. My desire for you is to be righteous. I don't want you to be famous. I want you to be faithful. I don't want you to be haughty. I want you to be holy. I don't want you to see how high you can get above everybody else. I want to see how low you can go before God. And you see, the influence that you have on others while you're alive can be passed down from generation to generation long after you're gone. Let me tell you a story. This fascinated me. There was a couple, you all heard of one of them, I'm sure. There was a couple who walked by faith, who loved God, and they lived what I call a legacy life in the early 1700s right here in colonial America. Their names were Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan Edwards felt God's call to become a preacher. He began to pastor a small church. He wrote a lot of sermons and a lot of books. He was influential in, 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 in the beginning of what you and I know as the Great Awakening. Well, he and Sarah had 11 children. Think about that, 11 children. And beginning with that first child, they made a covenant. They said, no matter what else we do with our lives, no matter what else happens, we're gonna do everything we can to lead our child to seek God and to serve God with all our hearts. They did that with the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh child. Well, in 1800, a man by the name of A.E. Winship did a study of the 1,400 descendants of Jonathan Edwards. I'm, I'm sorry, 1900. A man by the name of A.E. Winship did a study of the 1,400 descendants of Jonathan Edwards that he was able to find, and he was amazed to discover the legacy they'd left behind. Take a deep breath. This is what they produced. 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, and one controller of the United States treasury and one vice president of the United States from one single couple who simply said just one thing about one child. We're gonna lead you to seek God and to serve God with all your heart. I ask you, can you think of a greater legacy that you could leave than just having your children and your grandchildren to love God and to know God and to serve God, and to seek God. Can you think of a greater legacy you could leave than to just lead one single person to come to know God through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Listen, how we lead and where we lead others is the first building block to leaving the kind of legacy that we all want to lead. So my first question is, who are you leading in your life right now? And where are you leading them? Where would they go? What direction would they be traveling in if you were to leave this earth today? Then here's the second key. Our legacy is determined by what we leave, now watch this, not to others, in others, 
My legacy is gonna be determined by where did I lead others, but what did I leave in others? Well, <clears throat> once again, David shows he was a man truly after God's own heart because even knowing his days were coming to a close, guess what? David's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. He's thinking about his son. He's thinking about his subjects. He's thinking about his citizens. He's thinking about his family. You know, one of the marks of a great leader is he wants to set his successor up to be more successful than he is. That, that's, I was talking to a pastor last week. <clears throat> he said, uh, James, what are you thinking about your future? And uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he said, not, you know, you, you, you've got a lot of energy left, but, you know, have you kind of thought about your future? And he said, what, what's, what's kind of your biggest goal? I said, you know, one of my biggest goals in life, I said, right now, I'm doing everything I can. I've got a couple of big things left I've got to do in our church. I want to leave our church up so whoever succeeds me will be far more successful than I am. That's what a good leader does. And David is determined to do that. So he does two things. First of all, he says, Solomon, I'm going to lead you, hopefully, to be the kind of person that you ought to be. But then he says, I'm going to do you a bigger favor. I'm going to try to leave something in the people you're going to lead that's even bigger than what you realize. See, David had a dream. You say, yeah, you've already told me it was to build a temple for God. No, that was really not the dream. He had a bigger dream than that. David had a dream, not primarily to build a temple for God because that wasn't going to happen. Here's what David said. Well, since God's already said I'm not going to build the temple, I still have a heart for God, so here's what I'm going to do. If I can't build a temple for God's people, I'm going to build people that are worthy of that temple. I'm going to build the kind of people that I want to go into that place of worship. I've got a heart for what is best for others, and he makes an amazing decision. This is just mind-boggling to me. He says to God, okay, I'm not going to build it, but I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to build it, but I'm going to pay for it. I, I won't oversee the construction of it, but I'm going to make sure it is paid for before it is built. So he does two incredible things. First of all, God had given to David the construction plans for the temple. God had revealed those plans to, to, to David. And David knew exactly how the whole thing was about to be, what was, was supposed to be laid out. Now, David, instead of, he could have kept it to himself. He could have said, okay, Solomon, I'm not gonna get, build the temple. You gotta build the temple. So you're on your own. You just go build it however you wanna build it. And he didn't do that. He shares those plans with Solomon. So he says, Solomon, you don't have to worry about how to build the temple. It's already taken care of. You don't have to worry. How big should it be? Where should this go? Where should I put that? It's all in the plans. So there's only one question left, Solomon, and I know what it is. Well, who's gonna pay for it? I mean, how's it gonna be paid for? So David, I want you to watch this. This is some of the best stuff you'll read in the Bible. It's unbelievable, really. David is about to set one of the greatest examples you will find anywhere for other people. Because again, he's not primarily interested in leaving God's temple for his pe people. He's more interested in leaving a love for God and his temple in his people. So I want you to pay close attention to what David does. <clears throat> then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great. 
because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, a stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, <clears throat> I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Then he says this. Now, he looks at all of his people. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Now, you talk about... <laughs> A man after God's own heart. You talk about leaving a legacy. Listen to what David did. Don't, don't miss this. David says, Lord, first of all, let's get something straight. This temple is not a monument to me. It's not being built for me. It's not even being built for you. This temple is a monument to God. It belongs to God. Then you know what David does? He empties his bank account. He gives the largest single offering anyone has ever given to any project in the history of the world. And he does it for one reason. Listen now, I'm gonna make this real practical. Not to get a tax break. Did you hear me? Not to get a tax break. Not to get a building named after him. Not to become a hero. He did it for one reason. He had a heart for God. He had a heart for the work of God. He had a heart for the people of God. He had a heart for the temple of God. See, what David wanted to leave in his people and for his people was not a building, but a blessing. Not a place, but a passion. And David wanted to leave for his people a love for God. And let me tell you why. Because this is the way it always works. If you love God, you'll love his church and his work. And if you love his church, you'll give to his church and his work. That's just the way it is. If you love God, you'll love his church and his work. And if you love his church and his work, you will give to his church and his work. David said, I'm giving for one reason. I love God. I love the people of God. I love the work of God. I love the house of God. I love the mission of God. And I want to leave a legacy of investing in that work. Now, some of you kind of, are kind of got ahead of me and you said, so pastor, you're saying one of the ways I can measure my love for God is what I do for his church. That's exactly right. Don't tell me how much you love God till you give me your checkbook. We'll find out how much you love God. Because you know what you prove by your checkbook? Some of you are not going to like this. That's okay. Some of you like stuff more than you love God's work. Some of you like new cars more than you love God's work. Some of you love a new house more than you love God's work. Some of you love jewelry more than you love God's work. It's just that simple. When you love God, you'll love his church. And if you love his church, you will give to his church. Someone is calculating. This, this is mind-boggling. 
Someone has calculated the, in, in modern day dollars the value of David's gift. Are you ready for this? This is unbelievable. Do you know how much money in today's money? Do you know how much money David gave just in silver? He gave $450 million. Do you know how much he gave in gold? He gave 17 billion, not million, billion dollars. And he wasn't just building a building. He's leaving a legacy. And David starts this avalanche of giving, which resulted in the greatest single financial offering ever given in one single day. Now watch what happens. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God. 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord. In the custody of Jael the Gershonite, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. What a refreshing sight to see the offering bucket was passed and people were not looking like they were having a gallbladder attack. They couldn't wait to pass the plate. They couldn't wait to give. They couldn't wait to invest in God's work. And what would become known all over the world as Solomon's temple was paid for in one single day. You know why? Because when people saw what David had done, they wanted to do just as much, if not more. And here's the key. This is what I want you to see. They gave with their whole heart. You know why? Because with David, one thing was always true from the time he was born to the time he died. It always came back to the heart. That's why Christianity is not a religion. Religion is what goes to your head. Christianity is what goes to your heart. That's why the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then David prays the last prayer he'll ever pray. And I want to tell you, I think it may be the greatest prayer anybody ever prayed outside of the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. It is an unbelievable prayer. David's now come full circle. He's done his thing. He's fulfilled his purpose. He's finished. The runway is ended. He's about to leave this planet. David puts it all in perspective. Listen to what he prays. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. What's David doing? He says, let me make sure you understand clearly. I've been with you for 40 years. I've led you for 40 years. You've called me king for 40 years. You've honored me as king for 40 years. You have followed me as king for 40 years. He said, but let's just don't forget one important thing. 
I may be the king of the most powerful nation in the world at the moment, but get it down and get it straight. The kingdom does not belong to the king. The kingdom belongs to the king of kings. I want you to understand where the real throne is. It's not there, it's there. And I want you to understand who the real king is. It's not me, it is him. And then he continues, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. He wants to leave in his people a crystal clear understanding. I don't own anything and you don't own anything. He owns everything. It all belongs to him. You belong to him. We belong to him. It all belongs to him. He is the single owner. He is the sole proprietor of everything in this universe. So when you think of everything you have and you think of everything you think you own right now, your clothes, your house, your car, your computers, your stocks, your bonds, your real estate, your jewelry, your children, your investments, wrap it all up, put a big bow on it and give it back to who it belongs to because it all belongs to him. You came into this world with nothing because you own nothing. And you'll leave this world with nothing because you own nothing. He owns it all. Do you understand what this great king is doing? See, I will have wasted a lot of your time and you have wasted a lot of mine. If you think, well, I, I know what this story is all about. It shows David's great ability as a fundraiser. No, you missed it. If you think this is all about David building this gigantic, beautiful building, You've missed it. If you think this is all about David trying to make things easy for his son, Solomon, you've missed it because remember, an inheritance is when you leave something for others. A legacy is when you leave something in others. And David wanted to leave in his son and David wanted to leave in his people a love for God that was so strong and so powerful and so supreme and so at the top that they would always do two things with joy and gladness. They would live for God's glory and they would give to God's work. David said, if I've left in you a passion to live for his glory and to give to his work, I will have left a great legacy. That's why at the end of the day, your legacy won't be determined by how much money you made, how many rungs on the ladder you climbed, how many titles you had, how many people you bossed around, how many football games you won as a coach. At the end of the day, your legacy will be determined by two things. Where did I lead others? And what did I leave in others? So the time has come for this magnificent king, and I have so loved spending this time with this king. The time has now come for this king to shed his crown and abdicate his throne and to leave the scene. And so we read this. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son succeeded him as king. 
What a way to go. (laughs) Not a bad epitaph for a life well lived by a man after God's own heart. Now, let me just tell you this. We're not all guaranteed to live to a good old age. Some of us won't. Some of us won't enjoy long life. Some of us won't have very much wealth. But there's one thing we can all die with, and that's the most important thing of all. We can all die with honor. We can all die with honor. And the greatest honor of your life will be to leave a legacy that will long outlast you and long outlive you after you are gone. And you can do that. You can do that if you have a heart for God and before you die, you lead others to have a heart for God and you leave in others a heart for God. So I just want to begin, as we begin to end this year, I just want to call your attention to one quick thing because sometimes we think this is not a big thing, but it is a big thing. It's what we did just a little while ago when we passed those buckets. It's what some of you did a little while ago when you texted in your giving. It's what some of you may have done yesterday, like Teresa and I do, when you gave online. You may not think it's a big thing, but you see, when you give your gifts to the budget and our Life Beyond Belief campaign, you're creating a legacy through our church to our community. Because of you, we have funded church planners around the country. We have developed mission partners around the world. We've extended our commitment to our Mill Creek campus. We've done a lot of needed maintenance right here at our Sugarloaf campus. We will complete, with God's help, our, we will be debt-free in 2020. And every dollar that you give is used to create a legacy of faith by the way we serve our community, by the way we feed and clothe poor people, and by the way we're always pointing people to Jesus and inspiring them to live the cross-shaped life. So that's what you do. So don't ever think, whether it's a dime or a dollar, don't ever think, okay, it's just an offering. No, it's not an offering. It's another brick in the legacy that you're building. You know, normally, when most people die, the average person, their impact on the world pretty quickly fades after they're gone. I mean, you have the funeral, then you go to the home, and you eat the fried chicken, and you cry a couple of days, and it's back to work. It's just kind of life. But the impact that Jesus has had on this world, think about it. It doesn't grow less the further we get away from his death. It actually grows greater. Here's a man that's been gone for 2,000 years. And yet today, he's got more people following him, loving him, serving him, and worshiping him in more places than ever before in history. So that leads the question, what legacy are you going to leave? What are you going to leave behind when you leave this world behind? You may remember the last, may know the last name of this man I want to tell you about. His name was Alfred Nobel, for whom the Nobel Peace Prize was named. Well, let me tell you why there's a Nobel Peace Prize. Well, I know this story. I didn't know it until I worked on this message. Alfred Nobel, in 1888, picked up a newspaper one day, and he saw his name. And when he began to read the article, he literally put his head in his hands, and he began to weep. He was a Swedish chemist, and he had made his fortune 
by one single invention, dynamite. And the reason he was crying is because his brother Ludwig had died in France and he thought he was reading Ludwig's obituary. But the problem was the French newspaper had confused him with his brother. And instead of reading his brother's obituary, he was reading his obituary and he wasn't even dead yet. But the reason he started weeping, and the reason he started crying was because of the headline they had put over his obituary. This was the headline. The merchant of death is dead. The merchant of death is dead. And they began to describe in that obituary about a man who had made his money, who had gotten rich, who had made a fortune by inventing something that could kill and maim and injure so many people. He was so shaken that he resolved at that moment, I'm gonna change my legacy. That is not what I'm going to leave. That is not the way my obituary is going to read. So when he died, eight years later, he left more than $9 million to fund awards for people whose work benefited humanity, for people who brought life and not death, for people who brought war and not peace. And they became known as the Nobel Prizes because Alfred Nobel made a decision. I will not leave that legacy behind. That is not what I'm gonna be known for. And to this day, hardly anybody knows he invented dynamite. You know what they know about him? Oh, he's the man who started the Nobel Peace Prize. He made sure before his life was over, he had invested his wealth and who he was and what he had in something of lasting value. One of these days, we'll be gone. Some of us will be gone sooner than we think. I just want to encourage you. In the name of Jesus, lead others to have a heart for God. Leave in others a heart for God because that is the one legacy that will last forever. Let's pray together.